You're listening to the Oaks Church, a faith family located in Denham Springs, Louisiana. For more information about the Oaks, visit oaksonline.org. That course packs so much hope, so much truth. I hope you're able to sing that honestly to God. Christ has died, He has risen, and He's coming again. That's awesome. <laughs> That's really good. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to Matthew chapter 6. We've been here the last couple of weeks. We're going to continue there. As we look at our Lord's teachings. And um, as you do that, I want to recap last week. Is Hopefully going forward, you've learned some things, you've applied some things, you've seen some fruit for some of these things the Lord is teaching you. And we learned that we must execute what we know to do. The Word of God. When God reveals something to us, we must execute what we know to do and trust God with those things we do not know and do not understand. We looked at His will. Look at His sovereign will. These things that are hidden that come to pass as He decrees. Then we looked at His revealed will through His Word. Things that are, we are aware, very aware of and it is our responsibility to be obedient. And that all that we do, all that we do, we do for the glory of God. His glory alone this responsibility to discover and nurture these talents within us, God-given talents, to edify His church, to grow His church, to exalt the Christ. And third, fourth, we looked at this recognized, that we, in order for us to recognize this way of escape from temptation, that we must be watchful in this never-ceasing prayer. This watchfulness, this Word, is going to bleed into today's message as well. As we begin, we continue to look at this word devoted. Today, we're looking at the devoted followers of Christ and His and her ability to give, to give sacrificially, to give cheerfully as a devoted follower. But in order to do this, we must be watchful. Watchful for the things around us. Be aware for those who are in need. But before we head that direction, let me lay some groundwork. We're going to look at four different areas. This morning, the first one's going to be to give thanks daily. The second, giving to those in need. Third, giving up in things of, in our fasting and prayer life. And then we're going to look at the ultimate gift. But we're going to look at, you stay in Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to revisit back to Acts chapter 2, verse 42, where this whole message is derived, spurred on from there. As they looked, as they said in verse 42 of Acts chapter 2, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. In verse 46, I mean 45, where we'll be today. And they were selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. See that area, that thankfulness there. Glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Acts chapter 2, 45, and they were selling their possessions and belongings, and they were distributing the proceeds to all as anyone had a need. What would lead a people to do such a radical action? Do we see that in today's context? 
Now we see plenty of yard sales, garage sales, but fortunately and unfortunately, a lot of times this goes to some needs that we have personally. But how often do we see Casey selling his 52-inch TV because a local church person needs to pay a light bill? It gets real when we begin to examine this. And I'm challenged, once again, every time before I preach, to digest this myself. And as I look, and I believe the answer is simple, it came from their gratitude and their gratefulness. So the first thought and truth I present to you is that sacrificial giving in the early church fashioned from a true understanding of a sacrificial Heavenly Father. The more we understand, the more we want to do the same. The more we understand this sacrifice of our Father and His giving to us, we realize we have the same responsibility. Christian, Christ-like. The psalmist in 106.1 says, Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And over the course of the last few weeks, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Here we are. Give thanks in all circumstances for the will of God in Christ Jesus. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I believe this radical giving gave birth from their understanding of who God was, this holy God, this sacrificial God, and it spurred in them a giving thanks daily. Let's look at our lives and let's examine this. As we grow in our understanding of this sacrificial Father, many of us can look to our earthly fathers. I am very grateful for my earthly father. Some of you know him in detail. Some of you do not. When things appeared to be all wrong, my dad aimed to make them right. He put his hand to the plow And he went to work. My dad was able to take punches. A lot of things did not go his way. He did not avoid the situation. He provided solutions. And he cared for me and my brothers and my sister. He loved us. So as we look, men, calling you out today, we must do the same. We must toughen up. To be quite frank, we can be weak at times when there's a place for that. But in our weakness, grace is sufficient to make us strong. Stand up for truth. Do not forsake truth in your home. Protect it. Watch over it. So as we grow up, as we toughen up, we put both hands to the plow and we get to work for the kingdom of God. For those who can look at your earthly fathers who finish well, Fix your eyes on them. Fix your eyes on your fathers. Watch them. And then execute and love and follow their ways as they follow the Father. For those of you who have not seen an earthly father who has finished well, I want to call all of us, and specifically you, to look to the Heavenly Father. This sacrificial, loving Father. And then He looked upon His creation and He calls you adopted. Our earthly fathers We're supposed to be a model of the Heavenly Father's love. Unfortunately, many of you in this room and those who will listen online have not experienced this. But you still have the responsibility. 
Learn the Father's love. Bring it and be an example to your family. Jesus knew how important this was. And this, remember, He went to the Heavenly Father in communion. We learned about this two weeks ago. In Mark 1.35, He rose up every morning while it was still dark and He departed and went out to a desolate place and there He prayed. Men, women, are we getting in this quiet place? Prayer and communion with the Father. God the Father has given much to us. Therefore, our radical giving, our radical giving derives from His sacrificial giving to us. It spurs in us this way of giving thanks every day. To assure that our motive and our heart is right, we must, we must return to the Father. Luke 12.48, it says, Everyone to whom much was given, of much of him is required. Jesus is finishing up a parable here as he talks to his disciple, and it is clear that people who have been entrusted with many abilities, gifts, and talents have the responsibility to steward them for the building of Christ in the church, but also exalting the Christ. This goes from natural talents to monetary materials. We have an ability, we have to steward that ability to exalt Christ. When we learned in the first week of this series about the apostles' teachings, remember the apostles' teachings were those of Jesus Christ here on earth. So I had you open to Matthew chapter 6, 1 through 4. And that's where I want to go. So we look at the daily lifestyle of giving thanks to Father. Now we have a responsibility as we give thanks to the Father, this will spur in us this action of giving. Matthew chapter. 6, verses 1-4. through four. Matthew chapter 6, verses 1-4. through four. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Starting in verse 1 and ending in verse 18, Jesus' teaching on how an individual can be hypocritical in their ways. We've looked at prayer. Now today we look at giving and fasting. He uses that word beware. Be cautious. Be wary. The Greek word there, where it derived from, blepo, means to see and discern. We must discern and be cautious of our practices of being righteousness. We observe a motive, once again, of the heart. Our Savior is very concerned of our heart, and clearly God looks at this heart motive before He looks at the action. So, think with me here. We have hands to the heart. When I look upon something and I take it, I want it for me. But when I look at the heart to give, I take from my heart and my life to give. 
This is clear distinction between take and walk or take and give. And I want to share my conviction to you that when we take and walk, this displays a very selfish heart, a consumer's heart. Does this model a sacrificial father? But when we look at someone who would take from their life and give, this displays the sacrificial heart, a child of God. Look at your life. Are you being faithful in your abilities? Are you being faithful in your talents? Are you being faithful in your stewarding, your monetary resources and materials? Not for the sake of the Oaks Church, but for the Master, Christ, God the Father. In Colossians 3.23-24, whatever you do, work heartedly, wholeheartedly, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance. You will receive inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. So what is our reward? It tells us not to sound this trumpet, because in secret, God is going to give us our reward. But what does this look like? Our reward is an inheritance. An inheritance from the Creator God. There's not a bank account or there's enough land that would please you the way that the inheritance of a Creator God would be. A reward is the inheritance of the one who calms the storms. The one who claims the universe. Our inheritance is from I Am, who holds the keys to death and life. This is the inheritance, the sacrificial father who calls you child, church. That's good. Colossians 3.23, a design for our work ethic is very clear. Whatever you do, work heartedly, heartedly for the Lord and not for men. So the third truth I want to bring to you is that our achievements here on earth is a byproduct of our working wholeheartedly for Christ. Not for man. Think of this with me. This is a common area of grace. We have heard it said, the early bird gets the worm. We got, come on, everybody with me there? Early bird gets the worm. God has designed us, including the non-believer. Let me be clear here. Including the non-believer to work well and to work hard and have the ability to do so. Okay? Fortunately, we have God on our side. As we look at the environment in a very practical way, your workplace, do not be alarmed, Christian, if you find yourself, including myself, jobless because your work ethic is poor. God says, all that you do, do for my glory. Do not work for man, work for me. Your work ethic should rise and shine above the rest. Not because you're aiming to please men, but you're aiming to please God the Father. Be obedient there. So our alarmness, our awareness should not come from being jobless because of poor work ethic. It should, we should be alarmed because of our work ethic is being disobedient. We're living out of communion with the Father. That slothfulness, that laziness, poor habits. I am committed and I am concerned that the thought that when we begin to see all that we do for the glory of God and not for man, our perspective will change. Therefore, our overall confidence towards earth, here on this life, life on earth, will 
correct itself. Aim to please the Father. And in this place of communion with the Father, aiming to please Him will naturally breed this gratefulness. This gratefulness. And our achievements will be earthly here on this earth. I mean, our reward will have some earthly taste to it. There is rewards, monetary resources, etc. That is a byproduct of us serving our God. Let that soak in. Education, to being a father and a mother, to work, all these things. If we aim to please the Father, they will correct themselves. They will correct themselves. At verse 2, we see that it says, When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Give to the needy. Give to the needy. There are three pillars that Jesus mentions in the Sermon on the Mount from righteousness, prayer, and fasting. Righteousness, doing things that are right in the eyes of God. Prayer in our life with communion and fasting, giving up to focus on God. These three pillars were staples in the life of Jesus Christ. But the religious leaders of that day would exercise these three pillars in public out of self-righteousness to what? Gain their personal reward, their praises and their positions here on earth. This is a very temporary, temporary value, a very temporary reward. When Jesus teaches to do things in secret, the religious do it in public. So we're looking, it says, when you give to the needy, there's an expectation there in that word when. It needs to be evident and happening in our life. But as we look at these three pillars, this righteousness, doing things right in the eyes of Christ, prayer and fasting, if we looked at the church today, what pillars would we see? I will let you answer that. When you look at the church today, what are some of the constants, some of the values, some of the priorities that you see in the church? And I promise you, you will be disappointed. And I will say you'll be quick to learn that God is being grieved in the local church. He is. We must learn to be a church that clings to these values that Jesus Christ did. But as we know to give to the needy, who are the needy? This is for you to decide. Who are the needy in your life? Who are those you are surrounded with? And how you respond to those in need is your decision. The church, the Oaks as a whole, has a responsibility to give together. And we do. But you individually have a responsibility to give as a person. Not just as a person, but as a Christ follower. To to model the image of Christ. You know people I do not know. Therefore, you must discern whether or not they are considered needy and whether you should give to them in the name of Jesus. And when you do this, a very practical advice that I do for all of my decisions, table for prayer. You see a need, you see somebody, you table it for prayer. You seek counsel. You look at the Word of God and then you look to the wise. You look to a like-minded brother or sister. Pray again. Together, pray separately. And after 48 hours or so, sometimes I believe needs move a bit faster. But in this decision making, you make a response based on prayer, the Word of God, and wise counsel. 
And understanding what a need is important. Let's clarify. A cell phone is not a need. Cable TV so that I can watch the LSU baseball tournament is not a need. Unfortunately, my flesh, I've become a very, very attached to these items in my life. And if I take it away, it begins to go in withdrawals. We all have them. But let's get right before Christ. What does needs look like? When I may be wrestling with whether or not I should pay the cell phone bill, another is wrestling just for clean water. We must be aware of what a need looks like. It may be one meal for the day. Some of us in this room have been there. I know personally I've been there to be confessional. Figuring out how to keep the lights on for the next day. The Lord has taught me and brought me through all those things and made me wiser. But it happens. My irresponsibility creeps in. But in those moments, as we begin to recognize what an important need is, that is up to you. And when you find yourself ministering to yourself and to others because of this self-inflicted doings, be cautious. Don't feel pressured. Now, if you did it to yourself, feel pressured. But if somebody who did it to themselves is putting pressure on you, you must be patient and see the situation out. Learn the difference between guilt, because I have to do it because I'm the church, and condemnation versus love and conviction. Loving someone and enabling them, is, is that honestly true love? Is it? And as we begin to look at these needs and see people and we just want to help them, guilt irritates the mind. The enemy's at you. Well, I've got to help them. I've got to figure it out. I've got to scrounge. You take on this responsibility of someone else. Some of us do it more so than the others, and it's not healthy. We must be wise in this decision making and recognizing the needy. And as that guilt irritates the mind, remember that righteousness, a righteous love, stirs the heart, and it can rarely be harnessed. Meeting that need right away may not be the answer. You ever been through a situation? If you go a couple days with the lights off, you're going to rethink whether you need that cell phone or not. You know what I'm saying? I mean, this is hitting home for me, and I know it's hitting home for some of us. But we see a friend, you know, we have the means to help them. That is right. We do it once, that's wonderful. Represent the gospel well. Do it with a cheerful heart, as we learn later. But what if we find ourselves again and again and again and again? This individual keeps returning to the same place. This person that we need to give to returns to the same place. Again, I return. Do not enable, church, do not enable habitual sin, but also do not grow weary in doing good. Galatians 6.9, Paul states that very clearly. Do not become weary in doing good, for at a proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So back, how do we recognize the needy? That is up to you. How do you recognize the need? You return to communion with the Father to discern how and when to give. 
prayer never ceases. Your relationship with God never ceases. But when you give, once again, that expectation there, give to the needy. Do not let your hand, this is verse 3, do not let your hand know what the right hand is doing. Very simple truth here. Using the language, the body of Christ here, do not brag or boast upon the giving to one another. Do not brag or boast about your giving to one another. Simply be obedient. To give a testimony of God's goodness. People have loved me and my family. From physical needs to spiritual needs. From monetary needs to material needs. People have loved my family. And I can't tell you, maybe two in the last year and a half that I know where anything came from. As a pastor, as a brother, as a husband, as a son, I am grateful. The church moving in my life brings out this gratefulness of who God is. So I am thankful to use this moment to thank the Oaks Church because it's been so good on my end to see you love my family. I can't be the only one that has experienced this. Every person sitting in these seats should have the opportunity to experience Christ and His love from His church like I have. As we gather and celebrate that, He tells us in verse 4 to, to give so that you may be giving in secret and your Father who sees you in secret will reward you. I didn't have a clue. I still don't. I don't even know who to write a thank you card to. It's the way it should be. As we give in secret, we give cheerfully. 2 Corinthians 9, 6, it says the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or un under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver who gives in secret and He will reward you in His timing. Will that reward come here on earth? I'm not going to decide. Remember that inheritance? That inheritance comes from that hope of heaven. Remember that. When your right hand gives and the left does not know, left and the right does not know, you do so not for man, but you do it for Christ. So what does confessing needs look like publicly? You've heard often from the pulpit, you've heard often from home groups, that we need to know needs to meet needs. When you meet needs physically, it often moves into a spiritual need as well. So the question here is, what does confessing needs publicly look like? And is there a place for it? Yes and no. Yes, if it is publicly confessed to the church. No, 
if it's publicly confessed on the street corner. You see? When you need something, hear me, congregation. When you need something, please retreat to the church. I get that family's there. Family is valuable and holds priority as well. But I want you to know very clearly, retreat to the church. How does that play out here at the Oaks? Talk to one of the elder pastors. Talk to your home group leader. Talk to someone you trust and come speak on your behalf. This is why membership is important. It solidifies our commitment to one another. Think about that. That fourth truth there is that giving prayer, giving and prayer and fasting are pillars in the life of a devoted follower of Christ. Do you see these alive and working? Are these three things alive and working in your life? And the last note here, giving up fasting. In order to fast, we must understand it. So look at chapter 6 again and look at verse 16. Jesus continues to teach in the same sermon, 16 through 18. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, and their fasting may not be seen by others. And truly I say to you, have you received your reward? But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but when your Father who is in secret, and your Father who is in secret will reward you. Not should you fast, but when you fast. Jesus is expecting the disciples to fast. Is He asking you to do the same? So I want to educate you real quickly on what fasting looks, this biblical model. He uses the language disfigured. This means that one would wash their face. But why would they wash their face? Because the people of this time would humble themselves, pray, fast, and wear ashes. And they would wear sackcloth. And these sackcloth and ashes were used as an outward sign to one's inward condition. So that's true and that's honest. But not to the religious leaders, remember? They would keep, they would keep their ashes and go before the streets. Look at me. Look at what I have done. We may not put the ashes and the sackcloth on, but how quick are we to say, look at me. Look at what I am doing. The hypocrites were wretched. Even in the fasting, they wanted public attention. A heart matter again. Very clearly here, we see how not to fast, but how should we fast in verse 17. It says, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. Totally opposite of what the religious leaders were doing that day. Jesus said, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may be done and seen by, will not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father sees in secret will reward you. Anoint your head with oil. I looked into this, and there's a couple different views here, and I'm leaning towards this direction. It says, scholars believe that this tradition of anointing one's head with olive oil was like a cosmetic lotion. It was something that was done naturally in that day. It was something that was done common. So therefore, I believe in this text that Jesus Christ is stating that when you fast, just as one would anoint their head and wash their face of ashes, you get up, comb your hair, get up, brush your teeth, complete your daily normal routine. But when you fast, continue your normal routine. So that those 
will not know. Very simple. Do it in secret. So, when you fast, what should you fast? And how should a person fast? And when should a person fast? Real clearly. Anytime he or she needs to give up something temporarily to focus exclusively on God. Focus exclusively, exclusively on God and knowing Him, knowing His will. This can be considered fasting. So I'm not sure where you are. Maybe it's an, a day or days without food. But when you find yourself going in a fast, a daily food fast, and you're hungry, nothing is wrong with this. You turn to God. When you would eat, you turn to God in prayer. And you focus in on what God is doing in your life and that decision you're trying to make for your life. Just recently, I'm going through a TV fast when I would spend a certain amount of time in the evening to watch TV. Set it away and spend time with the Lord. Wherever you are, whether it be social media, sports, I don't know. Wherever that conviction is, and you take this, this area of your life and you say, I'm done with it, because Lord, I want to seek You. I want to know You. I have a decision I need to make. And I want to pray. And, and when I go to watch TV, instead of watching TV, I want to get before a holy God. Open Your Word. Study it. Pray. Seek counsel. I have no issues with observing Lent. But I will be clear, the issue we have here at the Oaks is when fasting is only observed during Lent. And that when you go through Lent and you observe fasting and you spend no time with the Holy God, the Father, it becomes conflicting and confusing. Remember the heart motive behind fasting. is you're going before a Holy God seeking counsel and wanting to know how to discern a specific situation. Does the Bible demand Christians to fast? It teaches that we should fast, but to demand it, we have grace. But, God does not require it or mandate it to be a Christian, but at the same time, fasting is good and profitable and beneficial, but mostly important, it models the likeness of Christ. So why would we not fast? Why would this not be a pillar in our life? Think about it. So as we look at giving gratefulness every day, we look at giving in two people in this action, and we look now at giving up in this action to seek the will of God and His understanding. I want to look at Jesus Christ as He gave His life for His bride. We model our sacrificial giving off of God the Father who gave His Son, our Savior. That is good. As we talk about this giving to and giving up of fasting, all this was made possible by the final, the final sacrifice. The great groom coming and giving His life for His bride. In this love, we find confidence, we find rest and hope when all else fails. Our groom's love still remains. When I let my wife down, as her earthly groom, the heavenly groom remains. It sustains. 
We love because He first loves us and He calls us His church, His bride. I want to invite you to watch this video. If you would like to see the video, please visit us at oaksonline.org. John Piper says, The greatest gift you give your bride is loving God above her life. When I watched this video for the first time, I began to weep because I was reminded that the groom, Jesus Christ, will never divorce His bride. It's good. And we wait for that day. John Piper's quote continues to says, And thus I bid you now to bless. Go love your wife by loving less. As we look at loving our brides as Christ loves us, we demonstrate this by communion with Father. Love God to love your wife. Jesus loved His bride by giving His life to honor the Father. This last truth I'll leave you is that His devotion to the Father gave life to His affection for us. His affection for us brings forth life in our giving. Our giving of thanks. Our giving in action. Our giving up. But as Christ gave His life, church, we are to give ours.